0: Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode 59, Ann and the Jelly Plate, recorded on December 14th, 2016. My name is Julie Fan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoe Balzer. Hi, Mom.
1: Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm uh, recovering from what I think is food poisoning, so I'm happy to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's truly the worst.
0: You know, it's one of those things like when you don't feel well. And actually, I was thinking that let's speak of illness, shall we? Because it's a fascinating topic. But actually, I was thinking that with all this travel, uh, I'm sort of amazed that I haven't gotten a cold yet. And I'm wondering now that I'm going to be home for four weeks, whether or not this is the moment that my body will poop out and I will get a cold. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping that flu shot's going to be working for me.
1: I think being home is going to be great. You've been traveling, you've been on the road. Last weekend you were in Tampa. Now you have almost an entire month. I think it's going to be great.
0: Well, you know what I'm really excited about? And actually the problem with being home is now that I'm home, I keep thinking, okay, now I have like a hundred thousand creative projects that were on the back burner that I want to do that, you know, I suddenly have a little more time to do and I'm overly excited.
1: Actually, just that reminds me, I was talking to my friend Pete today, who is a painter. I actually own some of his paintings, and he's been so busy with other things, his house falling down and his health and various things, that he said to me, the thing that really depresses him is he hasn't been able to paint. He just, when you're an artist you want to create
0: oh yeah and like that's the thing that drives me the most crazy is like I mean it's the thing that everybody knows right as soon as you become a professional artist you don't make anything anymore (laughs) but like you know there's so much life stuff that gets in the way so yeah I'm excited to actually make some stuff because I think the times when you're really creative and you make the best stuff is when you have sort of fallow Not board time, that's the wrong way to put it, but just more downtime to sort of go further, press further, like not have to use your cheap tricks that you know work and you have more time to experiment and stuff, so... I'm looking forward to it. And speaking of experimenting, there is a wonderful product that came into my life many years ago, which I love and many other people love, and uh, it is the jelly plate. And one of the rules that I have whenever I teach is if I'm teaching a class that involves the jelly plate, I know, like if it's a six-hour class, that I can't teach the jelly portion of it until after lunch, because once I teach that, nobody wants to do anything for the rest of the class except make jelly prints, so... Anyway, we are lucky enough to have Lou Anne Gleason with us today, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Jelly Arts, which is the maker of the jelly plate. Um, and we're going to, for any for the one of you out there who has never heard of the jelly plate, we're going to blow your mind today and talk about it a little bit. We'll explain all of that, but I want to tell you a little bit about Lou Ann first. So she was born and raised in Michigan, one of ten children in her family, which sounds amazing and frightening and wonderful (laughs) to me (laughs) Uh, and so she worked at a department store to help pay her tuition at her all-girls high school and then she put herself through college and she graduated from michigan state and after college she worked first for a department store making decisions about which women's clothes to stock and then for a bank and eventually she went to get her mba at the university of michigan um so you're a true michiganer through and through luann
2: Yes, I really am. So yes. Are
0: you laughing at our winter that we have here? Because I know you live you live more uh, in Jersey now, right?
2: Well, now we're in Philadelphia. Oh,
0: Philadelphia.
2: I, yes, it's even milder here in Philly than it is in Michigan, of course. So. Oh,
0: man. So you're just mocking our winter coldness.
2: Well, are you're in, you're in Boston. I'm in right?
0: Boston. It's pretty cold.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really cold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so glad to be in Philly, honestly. After all those years of Michigan winters, I'm happy to be in Philly.
0: Um, And Philly has actually, they have a number of really good art museums.
2: Oh, my God. We have so many fabulous museums. Um, Yes, we do. And uh, we have guests all the time that are, you know, asking us to take them to the museum. And so we spend a Yes. So there is a lot. There is a lot to see here. Mm
0: -hmm. Plus all the history, of course, beyond like obviously the art museums and all that stuff.
2: Right. The history is incredible. I mean, I walk to my office from my home. We live actually in Center City and I'm about 10 blocks from my office. And, you know, there are all these historical signs along the way. And it's just amazing to see, you know, to walk in the same streets that our founders did. And it's, it's just an incredible place. I love living here. I mean, Mm -hmm. we
0: we like to claim history here in Boston, of course, as well, but yes.
2: (laughs) Yes, Boston's amazing, too. (laughs) I love Boston. (laughs)
0: Anyway, so just to go on a little bit so you know that Luann comes probably maybe from a different perspective than a lot of our podcasts do, because Luann has a long history in business. She worked at Procter & Gamble, um, working on brand marketing, making decisions about product development, and advertising on household brands such as Cascade, Dawn, and Joy. (laughs) Uh, I think actually all of which can be found under my sink right now. <laughs> that's good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. she developed a lot of new products there, which became a big asset, obviously, at Jelly Arts. So that's a sort of a big change.
2: So, you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I do not consider myself an artist in any way, right? Mm-hmm. I have been a business person my whole life. And, but the caveat is, I love to create. So ever since I was a little girl, I taught myself how to sew. And I, you know, starting at about 10, I had a lot of brothers and sisters and I would make little things for them. Or even my younger sister, she's 11 years younger, I would make dresses for her. So I just taught myself how to sew. And interestingly, over all these years, my creative outlet has been sewing, excuse me. Um, And so I would love, I work hard all day, but I would love to come home at night and create something. And up until probably six years ago, I never thought of that. I I guess I never really thought of it as being any kind of artist. I just thought I like to sew. Um, and I love to, you know, make beautiful things really. And so, but now since, you know, my latest endeavor and adventure here at Jelly, I totally get the importance of creating and learning and expanding my, my uh, the way that I look at things. And so, for me, this whole adventure at Jelly has been—I feel like it's really who I am underneath it all. But I look at it all very differently than, for instance, Joan, who I started the business with, and she's been a—she was a—she has been a lifelong artist. So we do have very different approaches to how we look at the business, but we both v- value immensely sort of the creativity in the sort of the, the beautiful i'll call it product <laughs> that is the result of using a jelly plate
0: well, I, I was going to say like one of the things is that oftentimes nowadays i find that businesses in sort of development courses and uh, that they're offering to a lot of their employees take a lot of things from creative arts. So it's, I think they're very linked together, you know, it's the, uh, you know, old thing about like, what can business learn from jazz improvisation, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, and,
0: and what kind of, um, what, what is the creativity that's found in, you know, abstract expressionism, like that big shift in art, how can a company make that kind of, you know, branding shift too?
2: Right, right. So I will say that at, so I spent 15 years at Procter & Gamble running big businesses, but also working in new product development. And now that was a number of years ago, right? So I would, in the new product development work, because it was so focused on consumer products and they were household cleaning products that I was developing, um, along with our R&D folks, you didn't have a lot of that inter, that connectivity to the creative arts. You know, it was more, uh, it was just more, um, you know, sort of, I don't wanna call it pedestrian cause that sounds so negative, but it's, you know, it was just sort of the day-to-day household products. So, to, you know, and that was how many years ago? That was over 10 years ago now. So I would say today, I think that a lot of the products, the packaging, um, especially I, as I think about it, the packaging is much more artistic than I think it was, you know, when I was there developing uh, products. So maybe what's happened is yes, the business world has learned a lot about the value of integrating both worlds in new product development, but, um, which I think that they have now that I think about new products, recent new products.
1: So, have you ever watched Shark Tank? <laughs> yes. I love that show. It's a, uh, for people who don't know, entrepreneurs pitch their ideas to possible investors. And one of the things that I think is clear is that if you come in with something, it could be a very pedestrian product on the face of it but if it has that creative leap to something that someone hasn't thought of Mm -hmm. the the investors immediately see the commercial possibilities in it and it could be something simple I mean these guys came in I think with a plastic container for paintbrushes which kept the paint uh brush pliable and soft Mm -hmm. you know even over many weeks Mm -hmm. I think it's not that somebody has to reinvent the wheel. You have to just somehow shift attention to a different part of something that maybe we take for granted. And I think that's where creativity really does come in.
2: Right. So I would say this. I like to think about it it, the way about if a new idea can solve a a meaningful problem. Right. It might be a small problem, but if a lot of people are experiencing that problem, that could be very cool. That could be, you know, you could sell a lot of whatever the fix was. So for me, it's all about, are you solving a meaningful problem? And the flip of that is, how big is that market? So when we first looked at Jelly, you know, I met my co-founder, Joan, actually through a person that I worked with at PNG. and g um, Joan invited me over to print on a big slab of jello. And I was like, Oh, geez, I kept putting it off and putting it off thinking, Oh, that doesn't sound like too much fun. Um, and I'm very busy. I had a lot going on. And so finally, you know, I found the time I went over. And in the course of an afternoon, I was totally sold. I was, we sat there and we printed on this big slab of jello. And Joan printed, and you know, from the first print she pulled, I was like the kids that print today when they first, you know, pull their first print from a jelly plate. Their faces are just fabulous. And so I felt I had that same, I was mesmerized by this whole process. And the more that she printed and then the, when I started printing and I, the non-artist could create something that I considered beautiful. I thought, Oh my God, what do we have? This is a very interesting idea. And that, you know, and it, that was the, the beginning of it all. So, you know, I then quickly tried to figure out how big of a market this could be. So I loved the idea. But from a business standpoint, it only, you know, it's only going to make sense. We all know how hard it is to, you know, start a new business and create a brand and all of that. It's very, very difficult and, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. So we wanted to make sure that the market was going to pay us back, kind of, you know, that all that effort would really be worth it. Um, so... So for me, I've looked at, I'm, I love the creative side, but it only matters to me from a business standpoint because of all the work it takes, whether or not sort of the end result is could be there.
0: You know, in a weird way, this kind of reminds me of, I was talking to a friend of mine about teaching in person versus teaching online.
2: Yeah. And mm-hmm. of
0: course, the issue is online, you can have a thousand students
2: Right. And mm-hmm. in person,
0: you usually max out around maybe 25 or 30. Right. Yeah. And so the argument was like, you know, if you and also with in person, you're traveling somewhere, you're, you right. know, hotel, you're da, 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 like all this kind of stuff. And so <laughs> it was like, if you actually look at the numbers, there's zero reason to ever teach in person. You know, <clears throat> you you really only should teach um, uh, you know, online, if, if you're talking from a financial business point of view. No,
2: no, no, I wouldn't say that's true because basically what you're doing by doing it in person is you're, it's all advertising and promotion and it's building awareness of you as a brand. And it's, um, there was this other thought I had. Oh, it's kind of like sampling. So, you know, sampling for a jelly plate. Oh my gosh, if we could afford to sample little bitty jelly plates that would be fabulous. But of course, sampling is hard. And like you're doing, it's very expensive in many ways. So I, so I, I think of you hitting the road and doing uh, you know, your in-person workshops, I think those are mandatory to build your brand.
0: Well, so this is what we came to in the end in our conversation, which was if you look at it purely financially, you know, dollars and cents, there's no reason to teach in person. If you look at it from a bunch of other things right? Yes. and like marketing, advertising, like, you know, uh, what you get back from actually talking to students in real life yes. and actually getting feedback in like real time, you know, mm-hmm. if you I mean, there's just there was ancillary stuff. Do you know what I mean? That oh, totally. we totally yes. were like, that's that's the reason.
2: Right. And when we go to these shows, I mean, I love the shows, even though they're very time consuming and all hard and, you know, long hours and grueling. The interaction with the end consumer is invaluable. I mean, we need, I was actually at my desk the other day thinking, shame on me, I need to do that even more. So I do it a lot, right, in the first half of the year, but in the second half of the year, it's a little quieter for shows, and so, you know, we don't, we're not on the road in the fall. So, you know, we find other ways, but... I love, one of the things I love to do is people contact us all the time. So I love to call them back. So I call a lot of them back and I just pick their brains. I just, you know, ask them what they're doing. What are they creating? What do they like? What's their problem? I mean, I love it. I think these people, they they're kind of think I'm a little crazy sometimes. But for me, that is a great source of feedback. You know, I, I'm not out there teaching classes like you, but I do need to understand what people are thinking Oh, the good and the bad and the ugly. You know, all of it. I need to know.
0: Well, I think this is, I think this is always like always- the product development question, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of times product, people who develop products aren't the end user.
2: Yes, And so that's,
0: right. that's always an interesting question about like, how is the product actually being used versus how it was intended to be used or how are people receiving it right. as opposed to, I mean, I remember many, many years ago in New York, uh, somebody hooked me up with a focus groups thing yeah. where you went in and I did a focus group. It was for lucky brand cigarettes <laughs> and they had a new advertising campaign and you had to make a collage out of magazines to sort of show what you thought the brand was representing like who they were trying to, you know, represent. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was, so I remember that was just such an interesting moment of, you know, obviously picking the clean brains and now I do a lot of work for brother and the scanning cut. And it's always interesting to talk to the engineers and the people working on it to say, well, this is how, what we're doing with that. And they say, well, this is what it's intended for. And I say, well, that's not what it's getting used (laughs) for, you know? And I think that's always an interesting conversation. So certainly. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's com- that complicates things. And you and Joan, who obviously was sort of an end user, that was kind right. of a perfect matchup, right, of someone who came from business and someone who came from the art side to kind oh, of make yes. it
2: work. It was. and But I will say this. Before we did anything, we did focus groups. Mm. So we talked to users, potential users, and then people who we, we were kind of on the fringe. And we wanted to sort of see how far we could push it or how far you know, this product would, um, appeal to people. So that was one of the first things we did was we set up uh, tables and we did focus groups with people. And that was that for me, I've done so many focus groups, right. And it's important to do them with users and potential users and lapsed users. And, you know, you can do them with all kinds of people. But, and, um, when we did the focus group, the initial focus groups with the Jolly Plate, I have never seen the reception to a product as positive and animated as I saw with the jelly plate. And it was so much fun. So the general reaction was whether or not it was a fine artist, which, oh my God, it was so amazing to watch how they were using the plate um, to design graphic designers, to arts and crafters. It was, The you, I'm not kidding. This is not even an exaggeration, it sounds like it is, but it's not. People universally said, Where can I buy this product? This is amazing. What size do they come in? And we started with two sizes. They would say, We'll take both sizes. (laughs) I was like, Both sizes. Why would you want both sizes? (laughs) Um, and so it was just what was the
0: answer to why they wanted both sizes.
2: Well, one answer was that when they're painting on one plate, right, they're rolling it out, there's paint left on the roller, and they didn't want to waste it, And right? Like we just roll it out on a piece of paper to clean the brayer. They wanted to roll it on another and work on two plates at the same time.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: So it's, it's that whole proliferation of sizes for the jelly plate was amazing to us, really. They, we, we did that in response to people asking us for things and, um, you know, you would say, well, you could mask it off and have a three by five plate, but there is this whole convenience aspect. That people they didn't want to do that, you know, or some would, of course, but others did not want to do that. Before
0: so, we get too far, will you just explain to people what a jelly plate is in case they don't know?
2: Oh, oh, god, this is always the most challenging for me. Okay, so what I I explain it? It is a surface for creating print mono prints, but that means a single print so it's a surface that is if you it lays flat on a table it's about three-eighths of an inch thick and our best-selling size is eight inches by 10 inches and it is a squishy surface kind of like it was designed to mimic gelatin but it's reusable and durable so it's a smooth flat surface um, that you then apply acrylic paint to the top. You create a design in the paint using stencils or combs or stamps, whatever you'd like. So you create your design in the paint and then you put on top of that design a piece of paper or fabric and press it gently with your hands. And essentially when you're pressing, you're transferring the paint from the plate to the paper or to the fabric. And then you just simply pull the paper or the fabric off the plate and you have your first print, your first monoprint. And once you get your first monoprint, you're not going to (laughs) stop. It is quite addicting.
0: It is very addicting. And it's one of those, I mean, I think for me, the brilliance of the jelly plate is that thing you said about it answers a question, like uh, a hole that you didn't even know existed. Mono printing has existed forever and ever, you know, and there are so many methods of doing it, but many of them are either um, difficult or like, you know, require printing press or require you to make the gelatin plate I have a I have a story right. that I've stolen from my friend Jen Mason that I like to tell which is she back in the days before jelly plate existed mm-hmm. she was teaching a jelly a uh, gelatin printing class right huh? and yep. she had at the hotel cuz you have to make the plates, right, when you get to the location. So it was at a big convention, and she was at the hotel, and she had, uh, you know, arranged with the kitchen ahead of time, which is already a pain in the butt, right, <laughs> to put all these trays of gelatin in their refrigeration so that they would set up for the class. And, of course open Mm -hmm. up the fridges in the morning right before class and none of the plates had set something had happened either the fridge wasn't at the right temperature or somebody had left the door open or whatever it was but she basically had to end up going to a gelatin printing class with no gelatin to print on
2: oh my God!
0: which you can only imagine the panic (laughs) right and terror of that moment right So, and so, you know, I know that when the gelatin or the jelly plate came out and the idea that this was reusable, permanent, you don't have to wait for it to set up, it's like, if you well, if you ever wanted to do this, it just made it so much easier. And it actually reminds me to a certain extent of simple things like the first time someone figured out that you could put fabric dye into a spray bottle you know, Mm -hmm. so that you could just spray dye things instead of having to, you know, and then that has transferred into paper crafting into da, 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 and all sorts of stuff. And I just think that um, Mm -hmm. there are all these things that are inconvenient that when someone figures out a convenient way of doing it, it just blows our minds.
2: That's right. I mean, I would say one of the things that we debated was that was, be- we of course people have been printing for centuries or long you know for from the beginning of time probably. and um, this was nothing new. We knew that. Um, but the question was, was solving all those hassles, all those problems of making it and storing it and then it was perishable so you had to throw it out and start over. Were all those problems big enough for people to come on over to a durable, you know, reusable plate. So I think the answer is yes, it was. Those hassles are a a significant hassle. And, um, you know, and here we are today. So I don't you know, it's been so fascinating to watch this whole thing. Well, I
0: I think it's so interesting just from the idea of like what are things that people want. I know that one of the things we talk a lot about with scan and cuts. So obviously the scan and cut is, is a machine that requires no cartridges, no drawings, no nothing, right? You can just scan in anything you want. And the amazing thing that I have come across weeding through email that I get and I know that brother gets is that mm-hmm. people actually do want you to just give them designs or sell them designs. And it, it's kind of a fascinating idea because I'm like, well, I'm like, wow, the whole like amazing thing about this machine is that it's just so easy to get anything you want into it. And yet people still want to just buy yeah. a design. And, and I think that's interesting.
2: Well, well, those are all different targets of consumers. So the tar- you know, there's a target that, See something beautiful, and sometimes I hate to admit it, but that could be me. I see something beautiful online, and I go, Oh my God, I think I could do that. <laughs> and then off I go, and I say, Okay, I'm going to do that. Now, that idea is not mine, but I have it's quite therapeutic to make it and to then look at it on my wall <laughs> and say, Wow, I really did that. I love that. It doesn't matter to me personally if it was my original idea, okay, because I got gratification out of making it. And so that's one group. I
0: guess the of thing course. is I'm not even thinking like my original idea. I'm just thinking like, you know, you have a piece of clip art, you scan it in, you know, <laughs> as opposed to buying something, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I, – because I think that actually gets to the convenience factor, which is I think people do like things that are just easy and convenient. You know, I was – so I was well,
2: f- – they. Yes, they do. Obviously. Yep.
0: And, you know, I was filming some uh, videos with my brother, and I thought I was doing a uh, a craft video that was way too simple. Like, the project was very, very simple. Um, yeah. And his response to it, he's not a crafter at all, he just um, filmed some of my videos for me, is he was like, oh, that was great. That seemed like something somebody could actually do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I sort of understood from that that a lot of times the videos that I think are cool are, are like, he's like, yeah, nobody's gonna do that. that was it looks cool but nobody's gonna do that. And I do think that that that's sort of an interesting thing that happens as you go on. and if I look at some of like the most popular DIY blogs, most of yeah. the projects that they have are not complicated. They are in fact incredibly easy because I think a lot of people are looking for those very doable projects.
2: Well, we've seen that in all of our blogs. So we've been creating blogs, you know, for six years. And the blogs that are the most viewed are the ones that are the simplest. And I started this whole thing by saying that I love to sew. And so we have several videos and blogs about that require a little bit of sewing. And those are clearly not... most viewed (laughs) they're too complicated and you know i say well it's just a straight stitch there's nothing you know important it's nothing difficult here but there is it's very uh telling the numbers tell us the answer that people are looking for very very simple ideas that are are beautiful that they consider beautiful so that's a big challenge right so that we're, always, we're always debating this and talking about it. And, and then, you know, we, uh, we still share, you know, ideas that we know at the end of the day aren't going to be as impactful, but we love them. So we're, we, we share them. Well, it reminds me um, remind-
0: of cooking. Because I am not a very, I am not a very good or experienced cook, but my mother is. And so I feel like mom, you look at a recipe that may have 500 steps and 50 recipes and be like, Oh, no problem. I can do that. And what a cool idea. And that's going to be neat. And I'm like four ingredients, please. You know,
1: right. like um, part of it is understanding if I have the equipment already, as opposed to I have to go out and buy some specialized equipment, or if I have the ingredients or I know where to get them, as opposed to I have to now go on a search of the entire Boston area to find them, it really makes a difference. But the other thing is, I'll tell you, even though I can cook, if the recipe starts out first, make your own lady fingers, I'm done. Well, wait a minute. Why
0: don't
2: you just go buy them? <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> but that's like, I mean, I think that's so often the thing, which is there are things that are interesting to the dedicated diehard enthusiast who wants like that next level, next level, next level. And then there are things that, you know, I would say the wider range of people the sort of are, are, are interested in the casual user.
2: And I would say we try to do, we try to um, reach both of them. So they're two different groups and they, you know, they're looking for different things and we try to meet both our needs really, but we do it very knowingly, you know.
0: So I noticed that you've been doing a lot of stuff with Birgit Koopson and um, Marcia Valk. Yes. And I'm wondering how you hooked up with them.
2: So we met them at Creative World about three years ago in Germany. And um, so all of our marketing, I would say 98% of it is done online. And so they they were watching us and we had reached out to them via social media. And when we got to Creative World, we met with them and they shared what they were doing. And then they, we had so much fun with them that they came and they sat in our booth and printed for a while, and it was just this beautiful friendship. From I would say, from from uh, it started online, and um, and now with uh, Joan wanting to uh, take some time off, or maybe retire. I don't know how she'd like me to characterize it, but um, you know, they were there and they. And we love what they do, and so you know, we we just brought them on board. So it's been fabulous. Which is so. Which we is, meet. Let me just say this: going, we're going to Creative World soon, right? It's in January. I'm so excited because. And have you been to Creative World? I have not. You go, so honestly, Creative World is a scene that I've never witnessed before anywhere. It is this. It is so enormous. And there are so many uh, vendors and interesting people and cool products and the displays are, I mean, I'm sad that I have to work there because I just want to walk around and watch people do their art and get new ideas. I mean, it's just an amazing place. So
0: people have always said, I know a lot of people obviously have been to creative worlds. The creative world uh, is like if you took CHA, which is the Craft and Hobby Association show and mixed it together with NAMTA, which is the art materials show, right. and right. maybe threw in like the stationery show as well. Right. You know, and just packed all of that creativity together into one ginormous, you know, convention center in Germany. And they have it every year in Europe. It's about the same time of year as CHA, um, which always leads to an interesting problem for many manufacturers and buyers.
2: Yes, including us. So, you know, as a small business, we can only go to so many shows. And so we uh, have, we started going to Creative World. I think this is our fourth year. And, um, you know, we just can't, I can't, we can't go to all of them. So we don't go to CHA because we're on a plane getting ready for Creative World. Um, and Creative World, it is the, it is enormous. It's hard to even explain. It's, uh, it's one of those things where it's a con- conference center that has maybe 11 or 12 large conference buildings that are about the same as the conference facility here in Philadelphia but now there are 11 or 12 of them in a complex and when you arrive you have to take a bus to your building and then you get to your building and you have to go up a couple floors and you know it's just it's just enormous that's all i can say and full of wonderful ideas so it's it's really exciting I'm very excited. And, and I'll just say this because, as a little business, I mean, I was terrified when we first went because I was thinking, we are going to be so lost in this sea of businesses. Um, but we had applied for uh, the t- awards for tool creative tool of the year. And for the past two years, we have won, we've come in second place, but We've gotten an award for Creative Tool of the Year, which for us has been so rewarding. And, you know, it puts us on the map a little bit in a sea of businesses. So people go, Jelly Arts, what is that? You know, and then they come by our booth and we usually have a place for them to a hands-on place so that they can create a print and, and be as, you know, amazed as we are still. So... Anyways, I'm excited about Creative World. So it's coming so soon.
0: What would you say to someone who's never tried jelly printing? What's the reason to try it?
2: Well, can you tell me who, what kind of person that is? It's a
0: person <laughs> if, who's. Honestly... I mean, I would assume anybody who's listening to this podcast is vaguely interested in art. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> okay. Um. So I would say it is a tool that enables you to create art that you may have never imagined that you could create that's all and you and it's a tool that will become a mainstay item in your creative arsenal i mean i think that's for me it's a tool that i just made my invitations for my my holiday party with them and i was so i was so impressed <laughs> I don't. I mean, the people that I sent them to probably thought, "Who is? What is she doing here?" Um, Because they're not an artistic group. Um, But I don't know. It's a tool that will amaze you. Continue to amaze you, and you you will find great satisfaction from. And you know what? I think that our ratings online. I'm like very proud of a few things. That's one of them. You know, we have almost a five star rating. We have. A few issues a few people that have complained that we always make very happy but we have we have close to a five-star rating and um, what are
0: the complaints about about the product
2: uh well some people don't understand what they bought in the first place um some people when they use it this is uh you know how the plate comes with a mylar sheet to protect the surface okay so when they're done printing they put the mylar sheet back on yeah but when yeah. you put the mylar sheet back on it's very difficult to do it without cat without trapping some air between the mylar sheet and the plate and if you are unfortunate enough to create to capture trap some air there and you let the plate sit for a while before you use it again that air bubble is going to create an indentation in the surface of the plate because The gel plate, basically, it conforms to whatever surface it's laying upon, right? That's the nature of the gel. So that's the bad part. The good part is you can fix it. And the way to fix it is you take the Mylar sheet off, you place the plate on a very hard, smooth surface, like a granite countertop, and you let the plate sit there overnight. And then when you take it off, the plate will have settled and that bubble, that air bubble indentation will be gone. So I would say, you know, that's probably. Interesting.
0: I have another solution, which is okay. you don't clean your jelly plate ever. So it's <laughs> nice and dirty. Then the Mylar sheet doesn't really get stuck to it in the same way. It just sort of lays on top of like the messy paint. And then that's never a problem.
2: So here's what I would love to <laughs> but I- I can't tell people that because a lot of people don't want to leave their plate dirty. But but what I wish, I, I don't know how to do this. Maybe you can help here. The Mylar that protects the plate when we sell it, I would love for people to just throw those darn things out. And then just cut co- when they're done with the plate, they can just cover the plate with a plain sheet of white copy paper, and then just smooth out any air bubbles with your hand. It work; it's so much easier, and um, and then you can store your plate with just you know co- uh, sh- copy paper on either side to protect the surface. But it's kind of a complicated <laughs> story. <laughs> so
0: interesting. Well, I have a question, which is why. Uh, I thought somebody told me once that you're not supposed to put a jelly plate onto a porous surface like a white piece of copy paper because it leaches. Well,
2: yeah. So really what we say, we do say don't place it on a porous surface like a wooden tabletop because the plates do contain mineral oil and the mineral oil will leach out. And you, don't, you sure don't want that happening on a wood tabletop. Um, however... It doesn't matter if it happens to a co- sheet of white copy paper, right? Mm-hmm. You just you just discard it, or you just keep using it. It doesn't matter. So, uh, so yeah, that's why this is not such an easy.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm sure yeah. if you did a video, sent it out in your newsletter as information, and then there be there are tons of jelly teachers out there who would spread the gospel.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think we need to do that. Thank you.
0: There you go. Just get Marsha and Birgit on it.
2: Yes, I should do that, actually. Thank you. Here you go. We're keeping them pretty busy. They're, yeah.
0: Good. Uh So uh, what's next for Jelly? So
2: what's next is, I think maybe you had a peek of one of the things that's next. I did. Um, Which is our mini kits. So um, we have created two little kits that contain a mini jelly plate. So they're about three inches in, in width or height or whatever, three inches, a three inch jelly plate. And one is a round plate and one is a hexagon shape. And the kits come with a plastic case that can be used as a stamping block. So those jelly plates, when you take, a, you take mylar off them, they stick nicely to plastic. And so you can take that uh, plastic container and you can stick the jelly plate to the top of it and you can use it as a stamping block. Or when you're done, just, you know, open it up and you can use it as a storage container for the jelly plate, for the mini jelly plate. Um, and in addition to the container, uh, it ha- we've included a little comb, a little texture comb, and a piece of punchinella so to, for, to use as a stencil. So we're very excited about that, and we're hoping that um, you know that we continue to grow the uh, jelly base users uh, via stamping and layering, and and also to younger people, you know, to students and um, to students really. So we're trying to come. I mean, we we're developing ideas that uh, so the price point's a little bit lower, and people can still experience. Uh, the the cool pe- part of printing with a jolly plate.
0: I think the kits are very cool and I will have a video on my YouTube and on my blog next week using the kit so you guys can look for that
2: hey, and see it. Fun. Okay, we will, we will.
1: Uh, I think the idea of using it in schools made me think of the fact that one of the great things about this is they're storable and portable. Uh, because like, for example, for someone like me, I don't have an art room. I don't do a lot of, you know, great big things, but the fact that I could have this, don't have to think about storage, don't have to have an entire art setup or a gigantic table in order to do this is very attractive. And I was thinking not just schools, but the other end, uh, lots of, uh, I would think uh, you could do this in after school care. You could do it in senior centers. You yes, could do it yes. all kinds of places because
0: mm-hmm. it
1: is not a complex setup. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. So I totally agree. And I will say this we also have two additional new products that will be coming out, we'll share at Creative World. Um, and it's going to be two new class packs that um are larger so right now we started we wanted to test a class pack and so we started it with a five by five plate a five inch square and we made the plates as thin as we felt we could and still you know create a beautiful print so we started with a five by five class pack and it's been very very successful and um and so now we're coming out with two larger class packs so one with five by seven plates and one with eight by ten plates so i and I, i will say this one of the very first sales we made way back when was to a gentleman in new jersey who was fielding workshops at senior centers he was doing art classes and That was, it was so exciting because we had just started selling. It was probably the first month or two. He happened to live in my town. I didn't know him before, but he found us and he took the eight by 10 jelly plates. This is so funny. He bought a case. He took them and he cut them in half. So they were four, they ended up being four by half of an eight and a half by eight by 10. So four by five. And he gave each one of the seniors a four by five plate. And then he brought with him frames, you know, cardboard picture frames. And so they all printed. And then he put them in frames. And he called me after the workshop. And he was beyond excited. He said, you have no idea how much joy these people felt creating their own art. And they weren't artists, right? They were passing time in this in a in a you know senior center and so it was just it was so cool i mean i would just say this the personally i feel every day when i read these comments that the happiness that people feel printing is just so cool it's so rewarding and you know no matter what happens I feel like we've made a lot of people really happy. It feels really good. So we're going to go down the class pack. Feel You know, we'll, we'll keep going there because I do think that it's a perfect setting. Yeah.
0: You know, I think you know, that I think so. one of the things about doing this job of making art and teaching other people and all that kind of stuff is, you know, and, yeah. and because I just taught classes, I think this is fresh in my mind is people do say like, this has changed my life, or this has been an amazing thing for me, or this, you know what I mean? And I think that art making is something, and we've talked about this many times on the podcast, that is a release, a relief, it's therapy, it's theology, it's, you know, so many different things for so many different people. And so anytime you can be involved in something like that, so a friend of mine has a job that she really doesn't like, and she said to me recently, she said, you know, I always wanted to do something that I thought was going to change the world, and I'm just not sure how like showing, you know, insert name of big company, why they're, you know, how 11-year-olds feel about their product, you know, (laughs) is something that's actually changing the world in some way. Um, And and I thought about it, and I was like, you know, I never thought, oh, I want to do something that changes the world. But actually, I feel like I have lucked, I have just dumb lucked my way into something that does make you know, a couple of people's lives a little bit happier, including my own.
2: I would say, when I was just saying all that, I was thinking of you. You must see that every time you do a workshop. When you're there personally, I mean, I think that's super cool that's very I mean I hope you find it rewarding I'm sure you do I
0: do that's one of the big reasons to teach in person is just the personal yeah. reward of actually getting to meet people who say what you do matters to me because there are times yeah. certainly you know you work by yourself I'm, I'm wearing my slippers right now you know where you wonder <laughs> if you're screaming into the wind and anybody's actually out there or anybody cares and then you just meet one person yeah. who says I you know, My uh, partner died, my parent died, my, you know, when I went through this divorce, I got sober, I, whatever it is. And through that, art was there for me and you were a part of that journey. And I can imagine nothing more rewarding than hearing that.
2: You know, I totally agree. And that just happened to me in an email this morning. And I, that, I, it just keeps me going. I love that. Yeah. Yes. It's Mm -hmm. a good
0: reminder to me, too, that I always try now to say to people, you know, what you did meant a lot to me, what you did changed my life, because I know how much it means now on the other side of that.
2: Yeah, that's right. So that's really good, right? That's a lesson for I'll pay attention to that, too. It it is also
0: I feel like this time of the year, holiday time of the year, it's a perfect thing putting good cheer out (laughs) for all. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, to do that. So, uh, Mom, is there anything you want to say as, as we wrap up here?
1: No, but I was just thinking that the part of the appeal, you know, of these adult coloring books is the fact that it's portable, that you can produce something that you enjoy, that it's meditative, doesn't require a lot of tools. And there's something related to the appeal of the jelly plate, I think. Same idea. It's you can take it up as an adult never having done any art and it's creative and it doesn't take up a ton of room in your house. And, uh, when you're finished, you've got something that you made. Right.
2: I, yeah, I agree. And you could hang it on your wall. Yes, you can. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's great. I do it all the time. (laughs) Yep.
1: Uh, you need a museum, the jelly, play, <laughs> the jelly print the museum. The jelly print, an exhibit
2: of jelly prints.
0: Um, so Luann, where can people find out uh, about Jelly Online?
2: So we have um, our website, which is www.jellyarts.com. And from that website, they can get to our blog with our amazing artists, Brigitte and Marsha. And, um, and also we just created this new, uh, page and it's www.jellyprintingprojects.com where we're trying to take these very simple projects and put together step-by-step instructions for art educators or anybody else who'd like to take a stab at them. So we're trying to create, um, or make it even, you know, to help people out make it simpler for them. So cool.
0: We hope they go there. Yes. And as always, you can find me at ballsordesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at ballsordesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound artingpodcast, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. You could also throw in a hashtag jelly for this one. That's G-E-L-L-I. And thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.